Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, it is good to see you again, my friend. How are you? I missed you. You're back. I just wanted to hear you say that. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> hey, I missed you. I had I had a great time talking to Aaron Fitz. He's awesome. He promised he'd come back again next year, so we're going to hold him to that. But I do not love doing the podcast by myself doing the notes. It's weird. You can hear me breathing into the microphone, even though I tried to edit that out, but I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to be back. And I, just a big thank you to you for holding the fort down. It is somewhat rare that uh, we do a podcast and one of us is not on it. Obviously with, with work and life and I've got a second baby on the way. Who knows? It may happen more. So uh, you did a great job, though. Aaron was awesome as usual. I was. I'm glad to hear that he's coming back. Uh, I was. I was hoping we could make him a regular, just as long as he promises not to pick Oklahoma State to win the Natty again. Uh, I just feel like we might have had a kiss of death type of scenario us. last year. So uh, let's just let's just remove that variable possibility. But no, it was great. And uh, again, glad to be back. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and I know we're not going to go into baseball just yet, which lo- I know people love when we live podcast game that's going on, but 2-0 Oklahoma State at the end of the eighth, so Cowboys looking to close it out in the midweek game, but it's awesome Need to have one. somebody on that is able to actually go to the fall games and has a relationship with Josh, Hol- Josh Holiday. I know some people aren't huge college baseball fans and a lot of people that listen to this podcast, you know, are more basketball football oriented. But even if you're just a kind of a casual college baseball fan, Aaron Fit is a guy who is going to fall OSU baseball games and talks to Josh Holiday regularly and has I don't know how you could get any better info than talking to someone that's on the team or part of the program. Well, you can't and and nowadays that's that's kind of few and far between those those glimpses behind the curtain and especially from a non-local media perspective it just doesn't feel like you get a whole lot of that I mean I know like when Cade Cunningham was around they had you know ESPN kind of following him around but from a national perspective which D1 baseball is and they do an unbelievable job of covering a fairly difficult to cover sport we talked about this last year the access and the the volume of of teams in d1 baseball is unbelievable and so it's it's a difficult sport to cover but aaron does an unbelievable job and and we're, we're lucky to have had him on for the last two years in a row because he does provide some some different perspective and i i think last year who did he uh reveal as kind of was it it wasn't rock but he he had mentioned somebody as a potential breakout player who had a great year i can't remember who it was off the top of my head but that's the value that he brings so again we're, we're thankful to have been able to have him on and thank you for for running the show oh yeah no problem you're gonna get me back that you're gonna return the favor in a couple weeks because yeah. i'm gonna be out so that's a little preview pod in the into the coming weeks cade's got some ideas up his sleeve for that so yeah, look out for that one in a couple might weeks. be working 
might be working on a special guest for that one as well. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I won't let you guys know yet. But I mean, Dustin, let's let's get right into it. Obviously, Oklahoma State basketball before last, uh, I believe. When did they play uh, Kansas? Tuesday. So a week ago today, they were uh, on an absolute tear and uh, flying up the brackets. Predictably, somewhat they've they've returned to earth. I don't know if anybody expected Oklahoma State to run the table. I know we floated the possibility out there last week on the two weeks ago on the podcast. What if they just win the whole thing? That might have been a little aggressive, um, especially noting that uh, Avery Anderson's injury appears to be a much bigger deal than than maybe even we had made it out to be. But Dustin, obviously, with that Kansas game, then on the road at TCU, and then followed by 48 hours later on Big Monday, a trip to Morgantown, really a brutal uh, stretch of games right there. As you look at Kansas, who is playing the best basketball in the country, there's no question about it. They just went on the road and beat TCU. Then you get a suddenly healthy TCU and Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin. They're both playing. Miles goes 38 minutes. It's just uh, really like – unseen I didn't think that that was going to happen and then you catch West Virginia on the road 48 hours later and their back is against the wall they lose that game and they they are basically done uh, in the March Madness hunt I just you know as as much as some would want to say the sky's falling which I understand three dropping three in a row is tough especially this time of year uh, it's not difficult to understand how Oklahoma State ended up in this situation and Frankly, I think they just need to get back to Stillwater and regroup because they, they they looked tired in Morgantown last night. Yeah, I completely agree. They need to do they need to change something around because the things that were working don't seem to be working. And then the turnovers just continue to be an issue for this Oklahoma State basketball team. When they don't turn the ball over, they win the game. So it's it's not that simple, I know, but you know, 17 turnovers against TCU, 18 against West Virginia. And then that TCU game, Cade, the other thing that's fallen off and against West Virginia as well is the defense. TCU scores 100 points. That snapped a streak of 172 games where the Cowboys have held an opponent under 100 points. That's an insane streak to snap at this point in the season when you really don't have that many games left. And the problem is, Cade, the magic number you and I've talked about is we've kind of fluctuated on it, but nine conference wins and 10 would get you in for sure. Well, they're sitting at seven and they only have three games left. And one of those is against Baylor, who Ken Palm is at number 14 and K-State, who's ranked number 24, according to Ken Palm. So, and then Texas Tech, who's, you know, one of the bottom feeders in the Big 12, but that game's on the road. You would have loved for them to get one of those last three. I know they were all against really good teams. TCU's got Lampkin and Miles back, which you mentioned. But the Cowboys have kind of put themselves in a really tough position now with these final three games because I think they have they have to at least get one unless they went on a real on, on a run in the Big 12 tournament. And two two would be great. Obviously all three assuredly get you in. They're still in the bubble. I think the latest bracketology had them as an 11 seed. I'm a little worried, Cade, going into these last three games. Yeah, I think you need one more, and that one more probably can't be against Texas Tech. Like, you need to win that game, but I think you're going to need a potential quad one win to to really feel good about things. And you have two opportunities at home. I think Kansas State is the one that I have circled as as a prime opportunity 
to to get off the mat. Kansas State really has struggled on the road of late. Um, they've got can they've got Baylor at home tonight, who is. Uh, I mean, by all accounts, one of the best offensive teams in the country. They've got three guards who can just absolutely fill it up. But right now, that's a 10-point lead for Kansas State at home against number nine, Baylor. So uh, those two games are going to be incredibly difficult. And uh, I think they were difficult on the road the first go-round. They're going to be difficult at home. And and I really think you've got to get Kansas State on Saturday. And if not – this starts to get really dicey because I think you felt really good about it, but you felt good about it because there was so much time left and you had seven games, seven games already in your, under your belt. Well, now you have three games left and I do think one gets them in, but again, that's gotta be a quad one win. So um, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I mean, Dustin, I mean, what do you, what do you think about this? I, I agree with you. The turnovers are a, a huge deal. I would even look at last night. I mean, I think Oklahoma State had – they were one out of 16 from three at one point late in the second half. The win probability charts on Saturday and Monday look almost identical. And the games really felt almost identical. Oklahoma State keeps it close with around, you know, 10 minutes in the first half. Team goes on a run and then that's it. It, it was the same story both nights. And, yeah, Oklahoma State needs a boost. But, I mean, if, if you ask me – the turnovers are a huge deal. Right now, I think the biggest concern is the guard play. They don't have a downhill guard on the roster right now. They don't have somebody who's going to go from the three-point line to the rim. And that's, that's a problem, especially when you look at now defenses are keying really heavily on Caleb Boone, uh, making life difficult in the passing lanes. Uh, they, they need somebody to step up, and I don't know who that's going to be. And the thing is with that, Cade, you look at these box scores, if you don't look at the the overall shooting percentages, you just look at the score, the scoring, and you see Bryce Thompson's reached double figures in five straight games. But he's doing it fairly inefficiently. Yeah. It's, it's awesome that he's able to put up those numbers, but he's not doing it on an effective shooting percentage from the field He's not getting to the line a ton, you know, four free throws against TCU three against West Virginia. He is knocking them down, but seven assists in the West Virginia game. I think they averaged like almost 14 on the season around 13, 14. They only had seven assists in the entire game. So not only do they not have a downhill scoring guard, they're, they're lacking some facilitation there. And you see the assist numbers boosted recently they're dishing it down to Caleb Boone down low. And like you mentioned, if they take him out of the game, you know, he scores four points and fouls out with, well, they're like 11 minutes still left yeah. in the game. Yeah. The, the technical foul, obviously after the foul, two fouls in a row doesn't really help there, but you can see he gets frustrated. He's a guy, you know, thinking about the Oklahoma city thunder back in the day when they had Kendrick Perkins and they would go to Kendrick Perkins normally on one of the first possessions of the game even though he's not a great offensive player, but just to kind of boost his confidence, get him going a little bit because he's such a force on the defensive end. Caleb Boone feels very similar. If he can't get going early, if they completely take him out of the game, unless he just has some real fired up dunk or gets into it with somebody, something happens to kind of force his adrenaline to start rushing, he can be completely taken out of a game. And it's always been kind of a problem with Caleb Boone, and I love Caleb Boone. I think he's an amazing player. 
but it's hard for him to kind of generate that kind of passion and will to score and to carry his team on his own. He has played a combined 16 minutes in the last two games, and and it's primarily due to foul trouble. But what what you said right there, Dustin, is the truth, and that's that's the way I see it, is if he's not active, and Eddie Lampkin might be the worst matchup for Caleb Boone on the planet. The way that Eddie Lampkin plays is almost a polar opposite of Caleb Boone. Caleb, I mean, in, in between nine points and eight points, three points and four points, he has a 27-point game against Kansas. It's almost like the matchup dictates what he's going to be able to do. And, I mean, shocker that, that teams are going to key on – weaknesses but Oklahoma State against Kansas was able to do that because Kansas didn't really have a true big and and they were able to kind of enforce their will down low but the other four games around that there are teams with real bigs and he has been largely uh, I mean he's been average effectiveness it's 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 almost below average at this point and I would say five thousand six minutes is a pretty bad thing to get from what I think is your most important player Two, two other things I wanted to know just specifically about last night against West Virginia. John Michael Wright going 0 for 8 from the three-point line. Oklahoma State finishes 2 of 19. But I would say John Michael Wright, who has been one of your most consistent scorers, doing that, that's a, that's a really big deal, especially when you need production from everybody. And then along with the turnovers, I think it's kind of a piggybacking conversation. The offense is hurting the defense. These turnovers are – almost breakaway in nature. Like they're occurring in the front, they're occurring in the backcourt. So it's it's usually when a, a, a point guard or a guard is trying to get the ball into the post and they can't do it. Somebody steps in front of the passing lane or, or turns the ball over up on top of the key and it's leading to breakaway points. And uh, I think the announcers on the last two games both mentioned that. And it was actually something we saw the first time Oklahoma State played TCU. So that is a concerning trend is ball security, but it also impacts, I mean, TCU scoring 100 and West Virginia scoring 85. I mean, two weeks ago would have felt like totally impossible, but they keep turning the ball over and that's what happens. West Virginia scored 33% of their points off turnovers. 33% of their total points came off of Oklahoma State turnovers, so 28 points. And, kid, uh, uh, you talked about it with Lampkin. I, I think what teams have decided to do, because they know that Oklahoma State doesn't really have that point guard, that downhill guy, not saying that Avery Anderson was that on a consistent basis, but he's probably the closest thing to it on offense – if you can get physical with this team and take Caleb Boone out of the game, they're going to turn the ball over. That that's literally what's happened the the past two games. Coach Boynton after the West Virginia West Virginia game even mentioned it in the post game. He said the stat sheet doesn't always tell the whole story from the game, but looking at the stats tonight and watching the game, it's pretty clear West Virginia's physicality certainly wore on us over the course of the game. And I think he's a hundred percent right. I think you could have used that same quote and plugged it in the TCU game, except TCU was, I mean, that one was 175, so it was a little bit more than just the physicality. But it, it's just been a struggle. You know, they, they got out-rebounded in the West Virginia game. They get out-rebounded by a lot in the TCU game. There's just the the physicality and kind of the overall just mental aspect of the game. Some of the passes that they throw on offense when they're in the half-court set, like from one wing to the other, 
they just get picked off almost every time and they, they yep. keep doing it. They keep picking up their dribble. They keep trying to throw these long passes across the court, really close to the three point line where obviously a defender is going to be able to run out and poke it. It's just, it, something's got to change on the offensive end. Like you noted. Yeah. And, and defensively they, they are not defending the perimeter well and they're not rebounding well. I mean, West Virginia did just about everything that they wanted to last night. I'm surprised that they didn't also score 100 points. That was something that I was kind of looking at. It's like, okay, <laughs> this feels pretty bad again. So I, I think Oklahoma State needs a hard reboot. They need a, a, a good showing on Saturday, and they, they need a win. And uh, Kansas State's going to come out ready to rock, and um, I think Oklahoma State's going to have their work cut out for them. Marquise Noel is a guy that can fill it up from the perimeter. They've got Keontae Johnson who presents some matchup problems potentially for Oklahoma State. Both guys scored in double digits their first go around. I mean, Dustin, how do you think this thing goes? I mean, any final thoughts on West Virginia TCU? I'd love to kind of flip it to the bigger picture. You got three upcoming games and then the Big 12 tournament. And by kind of what we said, you need at least need one here. You would think that one of these games, you get a good shooting night from John Michael Wright. Caleb Asbury from distance. We've seen that happen over the course of that five game win streak, seven and eight or whatever it was. We saw several games where both those guys were hot from the outside. And then Bryce Thompson was able to score, whether it be inefficiently or efficiently. I think for sure they get one of them, but to your point, I, if it's the Texas tech one, I don't know if that gets you in now. No, I'm not. I'm saying like, I'm completely leaving out the Big 12 tournament right now. I'm just talking regular season. I I think they've got – I think you need Caleb Boone to come back. You need the defense. And the defense struggling and letting other teams' guards kind of go off shows you kind of Avery Anderson's impact. Even though we struggled with what he did on the offensive end of the floor at times with the inconsistent inconsistency and the turnovers, the way he was able to kind of erase another team's guard was big time. They've got to figure out how to kind of work together as a team defense to do that because if if they're able to kind of move the ball around, get CSA out of position, find ways to score in the paint, Oklahoma State's opponents, teams are going to be able to score 80, 90, even 100 points. So I don't know, Kate. I I think they can win one of the K-State or Baylor games. I, I'm just – I'm really worried after coming off this three-game stretch, but – you know, they came off a three-game loss stretch earlier this season to Texas, Kansas State, and Baylor, and then they rattled off the Oklahoma-Iowa State wins, dropped Texas, and then won five in a row. So we've seen this team flip things around. I just – it's hard It's hard to podcast right after this three-game losing streak. Yeah. And no, it's it, it optimistic ab- at all. Yeah, it absolutely is. Because, I mean, if you end up – I, I think the only way you – get in the tournament without winning one of these next three games is you're now what the seven seed in Kansas city or the eight seed, you get a win over Oklahoma or Texas tech and then upset a Baylor or a Kansas state in the big 12 tournament, which feels more unlikely than just defending your home court. So if you had to ask me and if I was a betting man, which sometimes I dabble, I would say that Oklahoma State wins one of these next three, and they are safely in the tournament. Um, but it's—I do think 
you can't get blown out multiple times. You can't go to Lubbock and get blown out. You can't get blown out by Baylor. And I think that's been a problem. And it's it's affected their net ranking. They're already down into the 42, uh, the number 42. I think they were up to uh, low or high 20s late last week. Uh, so this is definitely giving them some issues. And uh, they, they need to turn it around quickly. And I, I my bet would be that they do. Uh, and if I had to pick a game that they win, I think it's going to be that Kansas State game. Yeah, they were actually up at 27, and they've dropped down, like you mentioned. But Ken Palm has them beating K-State and losing the next two, obviously close ones, to finish 17 and 14 and 8 and 10 in conference play. Do you think that gets them in, not counting the Big 12 tournament at all? Yeah, I, 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 I personally think it does because I think you would be stealing a spot potentially from a – uh, a West Virginia or somebody of that caliber who's trying to jump above you, they would have eight wins in the Big 12. And I think six of the seven of them would be quad one wins. So you'd have a, a, a sparkling resume in that regard. But Dustin, doesn't the like Central Florida, I mean, so early in the year, but you give up that 18 point lead to Central Florida, you, you choke away a 15 point lead in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, the Southern Illinois loss. There's the three opportunities. I mean, th- even that one, that one alone probably makes you puts you up a seed line. And so I think it probably that seventeen fourteen number doesn't look attractive. But man, if they could have gotten two of those, they'd be nineteen and twelve and eight and ten. That's in no question. Yeah, and that like like you mentioned that UCF game, they they easily could have won that one. That one went to overtime. Southern Illinois lost to Southern Illinois at home. Lost to Southern Illinois at home. Yeah, the Virginia Tech five points. Yeah, it's a combined what nine points they lost those games by. Like you mentioned, get all three of those, and I I think eight wins in Big Twelve play easily gets you in. But it's a great point to bring up. And the latest bracketology I've seen, Cade. I looked earlier today. Unless you've seen an update, is an eleven seed playing Duke. And in that region would be Purdue, Tennessee, Baylor, Kentucky. So Gonzaga, UConn, you'd have, and actually that this one has West Virginia as the 12 seed in that one. So I, we'll see. I, I think if they won the K-State game, that definitely bumps them up. I think a couple seeds at least with K-State being 24 in Ken Palm. But I, I don't think a Baylor loss hurts you. But if they were to lose to Texas Tech, like you said, and it wasn't re- like a one-point game, it's it's not going to be great. It's not a great way to end the season. Yeah, and and uh, Lunardi sometimes struggles, right? Like, he's not always the most accurate. If you look over to Jerry Palm, now this is before Oklahoma State lost to West Virginia. He had Oklahoma State as a nine. So I feel yeah. like that Big 12 resume, especially that middle part, is holding them strong. And again, I think unless you just lose out, I feel like one of these wins keeps you afloat and you'd, you'd love to get two and, and and steal one in the tournament or against Baylor. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dustin, that, those, those early season losses, you think they're not going to come back to haunt you, but they absolutely can, especially in the big 12 when, you know, you're you're looking at a eight and ten is a good respectable record in this league, um, but seventeen and fourteen is not glistening by any stretch of the imagination. So, hey, just looking at it, uh, I'm going to make my prediction for Saturday. Okay. 
I know we didn't talk about doing predictions, but I feel like we should since we've talked about these three games. We've got to. <laughs> got to. I think being off since Monday, playing on Saturday, K-State, I know K-State's a really good team. Get them at home. I think Oklahoma State wins a close one in this one. Yeah. I think they they figure out what's going on. They come out with some kind of, not wrinkle like you would in football, but just a renewed energy, reset like you talked about. They win that one. I think they lose to Baylor, and I think they win the Texas Tech game to finish with nine wins Ooh. in Big 12 play. So two and one to finish the year would would be hands down. You're you're a lock. You're in. That would I think be they fantastic. Do I think they. Yeah, do it. I, it would be nice for Texas Tech to go ahead and hit the Schneid now and not have anything to play for when Oklahoma State comes to town in, in uh, next weekend. So I love it. I I also think they're going to get that Kansas State win. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it. I I think it'll hopefully be a low scoring type of game where Oklahoma State's defense comes out and just looks like the team we've we've come to know. But it won't happen if they turn the ball over. So Dustin, that that's kind of my final word. And uh, let's get off that eleven line. I don't want to play Duke. I'd love to play like maybe Miami or you know and and f- find a good matchup and make a run. So uh, kid, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be in. I would just be happy to be in. <laughs> I guess you're probably right. Beggars can't be choosers. It's been it's no, been a long, long hard winter. That's a good take. I, I wouldn't want to play Duke either, but I, I feel like the smile on my face when we get our name called on on the selection day is just going to be really large. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you completely. Well, I I love it, Dustin. Uh, before we do, we have any other basketball notes? I don't believe we do. I th- no, I think we're good on basketball. We'll hit it next week. Kate and I are going to record a little later in the week next week due to some uh, scheduling issues on my end. So we'll be recording on Thursday. So they will have played that game on Saturday. And then I believe they have – when's the Baylor game? That Baylor game is next Monday, big Monday. Yeah, so we'll have both of the – yeah, okay, yeah, it's on Monday. So we'll have both of those games in – before we talk next time. So we should have a pretty good picture of what's going to be going on and kind of where the seating is looking like for Oklahoma state heading into the selection process. That's really soon. It's so soon. It makes me nervous. We probably should say also ESPN FBI, which we do normally reference, uh, does project Oklahoma State to go one and two in that stretch, which is similar to what Kim Palm has. But it has Oklahoma State uh, at a 64% win probability against Kansas State, at a 46% win probability against Baylor, and then a 41% probability against Texas Tech. All games you should be pretty competitive in, I would think. And Baylor is really the only one that I think is matchup-wise difficult to see a win coming so my predictions are always wrong too so maybe i should just predict oklahoma state to lose all three but we'll yeah see. we we could all we could start there you know we could just remind people how this normally goes so uh dustin <laughs> before we get to football i do want to take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. 
I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast all right dustin welcome back it's good to talk football with you now. I, I'm just ready to hear what you have to say because this is going to be fun. Yeah, Cade, we're getting so close to spring football starting. So the team's back, team activities. I uh, believe there's 116 total players for offseason training. So that's including walk-ons because obviously the 85 scholarship limit. It's mainly just walk-through stuff, no footballs out there. So it's the coaches on the field with the players kind of walking through the new scheme. You know, you got Brian Nardo, the defensive coordinator out there, which saw an article recently. I actually can't remember where it's from. It wasn't a Oklahoma-based article, but talking about how Brian Nardo has known Joe Bob Clements since his Emporia days. I haven't heard oh, wow. anybody else reference that. So he was, wasn't, he's not been at Emporia for four or five years. So the fact that he's known JBC for that long is kind of cool it kind of changes the story a little bit from them. What we had previously heard that they heard his name from DK McDonald, who they interviewed the defensive backs coach for the Eagles. So it sounds like Joe Bob actually knew him a little bit, which is kind of interesting. And it's makes me a little bit optimistic. The fact that Joe Bob would want to be co DC with this guy with him knowing him for that long. So it makes me feel a little bit better about kind of how that dynamic is going to work out. Don't you think, or, I mean, I'm probably just reading too much into that, but. Well, no, I, it at least gives you a little bit of confidence in, in the familiarity there, even though it, I mean, how long ago was Joe Bob at Emporia state? That was a while back. So uh, at least the, the preexisting relationship is there. Uh, which I do think is valuable for sure. Yeah, so that's awesome. Uh, so some notes, I, Robert Allen was able to attend practice and he wrote about on Pokes Report that Kendall Daniels, Lear Crawls, and Trey Rucker all getting looks at that Rover middle safety spot. If you want to know more about that position, Kate and I have talked about it on here, but go check out our Twitter thread too. I kind of broke that position down in a couple tweets with some videos, but I think Cade, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm looking at our depth chart, and I know I'm not saying our depth chart is correct by any means, but just looking at it and seeing the boundary safety, the rover, and the nickel, which is more like a cornerback lined up over the slot. I like that Daniels, Rawls, and Rucker are all getting looks at the rover spot, but I would think that's not going to be the depth chart at that position. And and by that, I mean, I don't like if Kendall Daniels is the starting rover, Lyric Rawls is too good to be the second rover. I would think he would be a boundary safety. I, I don't think he's going to play the nickel, but I, I would probably throw him at that other kind of strong safety or boundary safety strike, or they previously called it bandit. I don't know what they're going to, I don't know what Nardo's going to call it, but do, do you think, I mean, I, I just don't, I don't see that being the one, two, three of the Rover depth chart. Those yeah, guys, that seems... Rucker and Rawls are guys we think are going to be starters along with yeah. Daniels. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think that's way too loaded a one, two and three and it, you out elsewhere so um i i agree with that 
And I think we had even talked about Lyric Rawls probably starting elsewhere. So here's what I think. I think this is probably getting familiarity with the guys you have, identifying the best fit for that position, because it's probably your most important one in the safety spot, you know, and, and it depends on who you ask, but that's one 100%. that they're going to put a lot, a lot of focus on. So I would imagine that it's, it's not necessarily a tryout, but it's a, Hey, let's just see what we got and, and double check this. But I, it's gotta be, I, I mean, I think it's Kendall Daniels. We thought, but maybe not, who knows? I was actually talking to a friend that's a uh, high school coach and he, he actually mentioned to me that he thinks that putting Rawls there could also yeah. be a positive because that middle safety is asked to come down on the run and fit in the run a lot. And would you want to maybe keep Daniels a little bit more in the perimeter or do you want him kind of fitting in, in the run more? I think he could do well in both spots. I kind of like him fitting in for the run because he's such a big guy and yeah. he's very aggressive, but Rawls is a really smart player and we know he's a violent hitter as well. So even though being a little smaller than Daniels, I just thought it was funny hearing all three of those guys. And I completely agree with what you're saying about them just getting looks there. I thought it was funny. All three of those guys mentioned at the Rover spot and that's who we have. We have Rawls at the boundary, Kendall Daniels at the Rover and Trey Rucker at the nickel. So our three starters were all working at the same <laughs> position. according to RA, so. Hey, what do we just say? Sometimes we're wrong. So, <laughs> Uh, the offensive line and defensive line was there as well. Just walk through. So when it goes to seven on seven, K, the coaches actually have to leave. They can't be out there on the field. So it's player led. They obviously, the coaches are going through with them, with them, what they need to work on from the player left seven on seven stuff. It sounds like Alan Bowman's looking good. Garrett Rangel apparently is looking good as well. On the defensive side, Colin Oliver and Ben Kapinski are getting looks at that linebacker spot. So I think on the next depth chart we release, we should just go ahead and remove the Leo and go with the – because we had 12 positions listed because we weren't exactly sure what they were going to do. And I think Colin Oliver starts at that strong Sam linebacker position. I think Nardo might call it Viper with – I mean, I don't know who's behind him, but you could put Kapinski there. You could have Benson behind him. Benson could also play the Will linebacker spot. You know, there's Nick Martin, Jeff Robertson. Put Deshaun Brown there. Chance Clements, Gabe Brown, a name that I know you liked coming out of high school. There's a lot of things you can do with these three linebackers. Right now on our depth chart, we have Benson at Will, Justin Wright, the Tulsa transfer at Mike, and then Colin Oliver at the Sam. I don't know if that's how it shakes out. That that's my best guess right now, not having seen anything. But kid, that's really all the notes aside from I don't think there's gonna be a spring game or spring finale. I was telling <laughs> you this off air. I haven't heard anything, but the fact that there is so much construction going on, we didn't see on the schedule release, we never saw mention of a spring game, and we did last season when they released that schedule. It was the spring finale or whatever they called it. And then We've just heard rumblings that the construction, and we've seen pictures that the, the construction is just pretty intense. I don't know if they can get all that cleaned up to where fans could be in there safely or not even safely, but even with a positive viewing experience before the middle of April. This could be too conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm getting a little too conspiracy theory right now, but I think the reason why we haven't seen an announcement is because they don't know if they're going to have one. Well, I was wondering what that shiny hat on your head was. I couldn't, I was having a tough time seeing it. Your camera was a little 
weird, but now it's making a little <laughs> bit of sense. So I'm going to do what uh, I, I love when people do this is when they gripe about like basketball attendance from their couch, like that they're not actually there. I, I don't normally go to spring games and I'm now uh, pretty upset that there may not be one. I was right, literally, so. we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If there was an, a spring game to go to, I feel like this would be the one where everything's changing. <laughs> you're, you're making in a new quarterback, a running back, new wide receivers, your line has new pieces, a new scheme on defense, maybe a new scheme on offense. It's like this, this would have been the one. And uh, they just had to go rip out all side of the stadium, which, by the way, it's crazy looking. Uh, I don't know if you have seen it, but it, it's wild in person. Hey, do you want me to take you even deeper down the conspiracy theory oh, hole? I do. We got time. Is the stadium reconstruction coinciding with possibly changing up some of the run scheme and changing up the defensive scheme a little bit to make there to be no spring finale? Is that all fun? They don't want any film out there on these new schemes? That's, that's some of your best work right there, my friend. You You do a lot of good work, but that is next level thinking. This is the, you know, the meme where it's the husband and wife laying in bed and the husband's turned over and the wife's like, he's probably thinking about other women. This is what's going on in my head. It's just a picture of a, a torn out moon picking stadium. What does it mean? <laughs> we ought to uh, make more memes. We should do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at that. You're way better at that than me, but... I like the idea. Uh, okay, one one last note. One last note. Yeah. There are no no competition days, so that's why there's been no notes about that this year. You know, when the players they break up into teams, they do it every year, and like it'll be a Colin Oliver with a Hudson Cack with a Garrett Rangel, and they do the tug of war and the agility drills and the different stuff. Have the competition winners. I think they like don't get to run, don't have to run or something like that, but not doing that this year. And the reason why is because they're focusing the time allotted on team activities to learn these new schemes on both the offense and the defense. I like it. I like it. I do want to go back to one thing you mentioned about linebacker. It's it, the thought of moving Colin Oliver to a linebacker spot with potentially Benson and uh, Justin Wright in that same group. Doesn't that make you feel like we're now loaded at linebacker for some reason. Like I, that's now the way I feel. It really doesn't, Kate. If I just read you the ones, let me just read you the ones and tell me because there's been question marks with defensive line. We're wondering where some of these guys are going to slot in. You know, losing a Jabbar Muhammad, losing a Jason Taylor. Let me read you the ones that we have on the depth chart right now: Colin Clay, Justin Kirkland, Anthony Goodlow on the defensive line, Xavier Benson, Colin Oliver. Justin Wright at linebacker, Cam Smith and Corey Black at the corners, and then Trey Rucker, Kendall Daniels, and Lyric Rawls at safety. Yeah. I mean, it feels good, right? Yeah, I I like those ones a lot. I, I don't, again, you and I aren't super high on Justin Kirkland. I don't even know if he ends up starting. It may be Eamon Oates, the NEO yeah. transfer. I love Kirk, Kirkland's obviously got the body to play nose tackle. He's a monster, but you got to remember, even though he's 21 years old, he's only played one season of college football since he took the yeah. LDS mission, but I'm not even mentioning guys like Nathan Latou, Nick Martin, Jeff Robertson, Kabinsky, Raymond Gay, Ladarius Webb, Kenneth Harris, the Arkansas state transfer. There's a lot of names on this defense. I think it's just going to be, you know, we got to watch them on the field, and it may take a couple of non-con games That's... to get them into shape, but the non-conference schedule outside of 
state. I'm going to tell you again, South Alabama. It's kind of scary. <laughs> outside, of that game, outside of that game, I, I think they, the, the way the non-conference shakes out, they're going to have a little bit of time to have some growing pains. And I know we're not going to break down the depth chart right now. I just wanted to read off those ones to you because the more and more I look at the ones that we have out there, the more and more I like it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think depth is a question, and I I think getting all of these pieces to gel in a new scheme where you're breaking in so many new guys, uh, it concerns me. But it 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 also is maybe helpful that you're breaking in those. Now I'm going to talk myself into it that didn't necessarily have a, a preconceived notion or a different exposure to a different system. This is just all they know. I I do think you can make a case that the ones are really pretty good i think it's the question mark for me is depth and how solid are you at, at you know that that nose guard spot is a is a big question because i think in that that three three you need to be really good there not just okay you need to be really good there so yeah it's gonna be really fun to see kate and i may even if there's not a spring game kate and i may be have a surprise we'll mention later to be able to get you guys some good notes good info from the spring practices but we'll hit that later could be a guest could be something else we'll just leave the we'll leave the mystery right now yeah and one one other thing i want to say dustin uh shout out to you for for wiggling in a death chart uh rundown right there that that is next level and um i'll do one in most podcasts i i I see you and (laughs) i just want to say uh, that that was pretty good. And if you thought you were getting through the offseason without a depth chart preview every other podcast, you don't know us that well. The One of the Excel sheets that I have up most out of all my Excel sheets, and remember that I'm that I'm in finance, so I have a lot of Excel sheets up, is the depth chart. I play with it a lot. Do you have any macros set up to like run it and auto- automatically load anything in when there's like changes from a Twitter feed or it's anything the like roster. that? Yeah, it's a yeah. scrape from the uh, roster I, website that yeah, feeds it. I thought in. you might have set that up with like an XML feed or something. And not anything I'd put past you, my friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, Kate. So no more, no more spring news. A couple recruiting notes. Oklahoma State got a 2024 commit. Our boy. From Choctaw, we mentioned his name on here multiple times, Will Smith. He's a guy that I really like, Kate. He's an in-state edge guy, 6'4". He's listed at 210 on 247, 210 pounds. But according to him, he weighs 235. He's a three-star guy, like I said, 2024 class. Got his offer at the Down and Dirty Lineman Camp at Oklahoma State this past summer. He's someone that's been on our radar because – I think he's a guy. He's a guy that's played the three down. He talked about plays a three down defense, three man front. He'll play that hand in the ground defensive end. He's been that stand up Jack or Oklahoma State used to call it the Leo linebacker. He plays on offense. He was a really good basketball player in the basketball highlights. I've seen multiple awesome dunks. So super athlete. I really like what he brings to the table. I think they end up moving him to a linebacker spot as opposed to an edge rusher if they're going to stay in three-man front. But because he's so versatile, if you were to change schemes back to more of a four-down four front, you could use him there as well. I think he had 34 total tackles in 13 games played, eight tackles for loss, seven sacks, 11 QB hurries, two pass breakups, two fumble recoveries, four forced fumbles, 
And then, like I said, he also played wide receiver where he had multiple catches and, and a lot of yards there as well. You, you know I'm a big offer list guy too, right? We, we've, we've frequently referenced, okay, well, who else is looking at, at guys like this? Iowa State, looking at an edge rusher, uh, should make you feel pretty comfortable about the talent level that Will Smith brings. And I'm not going to make a Chris Rock joke. That would be hacky. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. But, uh, again, I, I love the, the, the going up against Iowa State, who also runs that three-down technique. Uh, this feels like a good type of win and a good depth piece. I do think he could potentially be a guy that is more than that as well. So, uh, again, I, I love the win here. He's got some buddies on the team, too. Some former Choctaw Yellow Jackets, Deshaun Brown, Jeff Robertson. So Oklahoma State's had some success recruiting guys from there. I know we haven't seen Brown a lot in-game action, but we've heard great things about both him and Robertson. So it's pretty awesome. He's the fourth commit in the class. I'm excited to see what he can do. I think, I mean, I love watching his film. He's a super violent tackler, and like I said, he's extremely athletic on offense so i think he's a high ceiling guy that's a little raw right now but due yeah. to that athleticism i think he can really really be somebody that makes an impact in a few years for oklahoma state i i love it i love it and i love keeping local kids local big win agree kid i'm just gonna run through a few offers oklahoma state sent out a ton in the 2024 class. I think they're gonna try to take a bunch of offensive linemen in this class as well maybe like eight in this class. So this will be a bigger class, I believe, compared to what we saw last year, high school wise, and them kind of having to piece things together, not piece things together because they got some great transfer portal additions and some late high school guys. But this class, I think will be a little bit bigger in terms of high school players, but you've got John Price from Blue Valley in Stillwell, Kansas. He's a 5'11", 185 pound running back offers from Iowa, Kansas, K-State, Minnesota, Melvin Hills III from Lafayette, Louisiana, Lafayette Christian School. His offer list is monstrous. He's a defensive lineman, 6'4", 255 pounds. You've got Devin Jordan from Union in Tulsa. Iowa State, K-State, SMU have all offered him. He's a 6-foot, 165-pound corner. You've got Whit Ed Edwards listed as an athlete, the 6'6", 210 pounds from Wagner, Oklahoma. I really like Whit Edwards. He's got Iowa State offer, Kansas, UNLV. Luke Webb, 6'4", 260-pound defensive lineman from Deer Park, Texas. Not a huge offer sheet there from Webb. Doesn't have a picture on 247 yet or anything, but I like the size. Haven't watched a ton on him. Travis Jackson, another defensive lineman, 6'4", 230 pounds from Tyler Legacy in Tyler, Texas. And all these guys are 2024, by the way. Tyler Bussey, a wide receiver, 5'11", 180 pounds from Timpson, Texas. He's got a very large offer sheet as well. Aaron Flowers, a 6'185 pound safety from Forney, Texas. Another big offer sheet, OU. OU seems to be the lean at this time. He's got Bama, Baylor, a lot of big names on there. And you've got Joseph Jonah Ajoni of Conroe, Texas, Oak Ridge High School, another defensive lineman, 6'4", 240. All of these defensive linemen are 6'4", 240. He's got a big offer sheet. And then you've got a string of offensive linemen. I said they're really going after these guys. Kyle Rakers from West Des Moines, Iowa, Dowling Catholic. He's a 6'4", 260-pound offensive lineman. Kai Greer. 
270 pound from Waxhaw, North Carolina, Marvin Ridge High School. Not a lot of big names on his offer sheet. 6'6", 270 pounds. I think this is somebody Oklahoma State could get. And then the guy that I like a lot, Kobe Branham, 6'5", 320 pounds from Fort Smith, Arkansas, Southside High School. Again, not a huge offer sheet. He's got Texas A&M in there, but aside from that, Air Force, Central Arkansas, Charlotte, another guy I think would be a big get. And Cade, that's it. I don't like to just list off 90 names like that, but Oklahoma State, it's their fault. They sent out all these offers at once. You, you did a great job, quite frankly. You got me interested in a couple people uh, there that I had, had not really considered. Kobe Brenham, I mean, no wonder you like him. 6'5", 320, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one, wonder, what, wonder what jumped out uh, at you t- about him. Any of those offensive linemen. And then Cade, too, we finally got some ratings for some of the guys that committed. Can you guess? I'm, I'm just going to have you guess all three of them. Willie Nelson, Rodney Fields, and Josh Ford. What do you think their star ranking is on 247? We're, and none of them were previously ranked? No. I'm going to go three stars across the board. <laughs> and you are correct. Uh, Willie Nelson, about. the the safety grabbed the three star. Rodney Fields is the running back from Southeast in Oklahoma City, got a three star. And then Josh Ford is the tight end from Stillwater, got a three star. So those are your three commits along with Will Smith, four in the 2024 class. I think the class is actually rated decently well right now. I know I looked at it earlier. I don't remember if I noted it down. I think they're, I think they're kind of like in the 30s or 40s. I can't remember off the top of my head, but. They're going to continue to land guys, only four in the class right now. So we'll see kind of how that looks moving forward. But Cade, that is all the football we have for today, I think, unless you have anything else. No, I, I don't think so. I, I'm bummed about the, the possibility of no spring game, but it'll it'll ramp up the anticipation to see just what exactly this team looks like. And I'm excited to start seeing like spring camp content start coming out and see what the new guys look like. And I'm itching for it. 100%. Hey, do you want to move? We'll do b- baseball and softball. Maybe we'll hit baseball first. Yeah, we might as we well. I, let's end on a let's positive get baseball note. out of the way, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So baseball played at the College Baseball Showdown in Arlington. They played at the Texas Ranger Stadium, Globe Life Field. Starting out with a 5-3 win over Mizzou, who has been projected as kind of a bottom feeder in the SEC, but still a Power 5 program. They lose 9-11 to to Vanderbilt, who's a top-10-ranked team. It was 11-3 to until the eighth inning, and the Pokes put on a six-run scoring output and then had a chance to tie the game multiple times, but they lose that one 11-9. And then they get blasted by Arkansas and run-ruled in seven innings, 18-1 to on Sunday. But, Kate, okay, they made up for it today with a 2-0 victory in a midweek game that just finished – over Cal Baptist, who beat OU yeah. out of three last weekend. And this is an OU team that almost won it all last year. So Cal Baptist is not a team, and they were they were decent last year as well, not a team to take lightly, and Oklahoma State's able to beat them 2-0. to zero. Dustin, that Dude, was know. actually a combined no-hitter. That yes, Cal Baptist combined did not no-hitter. get a hit. I'm so glad I didn't say that at the beginning of the podcast and jinx it. <laughs> it ended up being a combined no-hitter. David Mendham's home run actually 
got the victory. I believe he knocked in Rock Riggio. It was Kiesel, McLean, Stevens, Blake, and O'Toole that combined for it. Kiesel getting his first appearance. So okay, the reason why we didn't see him, according to Tom Dorado, in Globe Life Field is he had a sore arm last weekend, and so did Bogus. That's why we didn't see either of those guys who were prominent arms in this rotation. Kiesel goes 5.1 with 11 Ks. Like you said, no hits. And 18 batters faced. He looked awesome. He's the BYU transfer. I think he's a guy that you're going to end up slotting into your starting rotation. And Kate, that brings me to, you know, we're going to hit our takeaways from the weekend and from this game. My big takeaway is Watts Brown, he wasn't dominant in his outing, but I thought he looked solid. You can see the stuff there. He had six Ks and a little over four innings. He's the uh, Long Beach State transfer, the preseason All-Big 12 pitcher. Kate, after him... The left-handed freshman, Brennan Phillips, he got shelled. Again, he's a true freshman starting in Globe Life where it's weird to play. Not a lot of fans there, I guess, unless you're Arkansas who locks the place every time they played. Quiet in there. Odd. You know, he's going up against Vanderbilt, one of the best programs in college yeah. baseball in recent history, one of the better teams. And then you go with Baden Root, the, the former transfer from Ohio State, who's making his first career start. My question to you is, after all that blabbering, who's, who are the guys after Watts Brown? Who, who are your Saturday and Sunday starters? Kiesel showed promise today. Kiesel would be the second one on that list, but I think you still have uh, concerns that have not been addressed. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Kind of talked about it with Aaron Fit last weekend. You did. I, I I don't know. Um, it's it's a little bit of uh, of anybody's best guess at this current moment. There are guys. Uh, Ryan Bogus might be a guy I would look at as potentially that third person, but I don't know. And and I think the the more uh, maybe disappointing piece outside of Vanderbilt has been the you know uh, maybe inability to manufacture runs. I mean, I I think that the lineup was not necessarily something we had major concerns about. I think Griffin Dorshing not being part of the team, Jake Thompson, that changes things. But 18-1 to 1 against Arkansas is tough to look over. Now, obviously, you come back and you throw a combined no-hitter. Like, okay, maybe that's something that gets the tide turning in the right way uh, in, in the pitcher's room and, uh, you know, the bats will come when the bats come. So uh, I, I do think that today's a good step in the right direction, but I don't know who the third guy is, and I'm not sure they do either. And I don't think, like you mentioned, I, I thought that was a great way to put it, manufacturing runs, because in, in a few games, like you mentioned, they have been able to get hits. They're just right. leaving a lot of guys on base, and they've been getting a lot of two-out hits, and then they get the third out without be, being able to bring the runner home. So that's been kind of the story. As Aaron and I talked about, they were going to use a lot of pitchers in that first weekend. They were going to use a lot of young arms. Rob went with three true freshmen and one redshirt freshman all made their debuts at Oklahoma State. So I wouldn't get too concerned about the pitching, especially after this combined no-hitter. It seems – I think Watts Brown is going to be good. Obviously, he was awesome last year. He, he showed his stuff in that first outing against Mizzou. He just had a little bit of control issues, left a couple hanging over the plate. But you can see, I mean, there was a backdoor slider that he got for a K that yeah. was just disgusting. Mm. I like Kiesel. I like what we saw from him in this game. I really like Isaac Stevens. I believe he's a Stillwater kid that went Juco and then to Oklahoma State. 
They like Drew Blake a lot. They threw him again today. They threw him this weekend. And they really like O'Toole, who I think has made his third appearance already this season. So if you get Bogus back, and you, whether you use him as a starter of the bullpen, you've got McLean, you've got Watts Brown, Kiesel's looking good, and then you've got that Blake, Stevens, and O'Toole rotation there out of your pen. You need more arms than just those guys, especially yeah. with Ryan Ur. It was announced that he had Tommy John surgery, the big lefty from Colorado, who you and I liked a lot last year. Yeah. The only really consistent left-handed arms didn't pitch a ton, but, but when he was out there, he pitched well, he's out for the season. So you're going to need Phillips to continue to pitch. He's going to need to pitch well, even as a true freshman, because you need some lefties and then you need those names. I just mentioned to continue pitching. Well, I think they may even give McLean a shot to start a couple games here and there, maybe some weekday games, because I think it's going to be kind of a learning process throughout the beginning of the season to figure out who are your arms that you want to go to, to start these games off and get you five, six, seven innings when you're losing a guy like Justin Campbell, who could normally get you nine. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough and there will be growing pains. And I think you're exactly right. I said it just a second ago. I don't think they know necessarily right now, hands down, what that weekend rotation looks like. I think there's going to be some experimenting done for that third guy. And it could be it could be that it's 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 really Warren Watts Brown and that's it. So and then everything else is kind of a a hodgepodge, if you will, until they do figure it out and two guys do step up. So there will be growing pains. The schedule lightens up for sure. I mean, opening with Mizzou, Vandy, and Arkansas is uh, is quite the uh, opening weekend. Uh, but, yeah, th- they'll need to figure that out sooner rather than later. And they're at home a ton to start the season, yeah, which will be they good. Are. On, on a positive note and outside of the pitching, David Mendham is an amazing first baseman. I know he had like one yeah. – I, I don't even know if they noted it as an error today. I don't think they did. Oh yeah, they get. I think they actually gave that to Riggio. Mendham is an underrated fielding first baseman. He's just made some plays already Absolutely. this year. Rock Riggio, aside from that error I just mentioned, has looked awesome in the field. He had four hits this weekend, which were a team best. Got another hit today. He's picking up right where he left off. Bill Sylvester, the freshman that Aaron Fitt and I talked about, he's looked really good. He had the solo home run. Outside of him, a lot of the other guys, Nolan Schubert, Carson Binge, they're struggling a little bit at the plate, getting some hits, but a lot of swing and miss. And then Nolan McClain, he's a walk machine. He walked, I think he took four walks this weekend and he took three today. The question was, can he at the plate, we know he can bash homers. We know he can get clutch hits. Can he stop striking out? Well, he's shown he's leading the team in walks. That was the the third thing that I didn't know if you were going to say. Can can he strike out less? That would be great. Walks are a great improvement. Yeah, he's he's looked awesome. I'm sure that's one thing he's trying to work on for to improve his big leads league stock, even though it's already really high. But yeah, Cade, like you mentioned, schedule kind of lightens up. They got Lo- Loyola Marymount at home this weekend, and then they got Missouri State next Tuesday, who's normally tough, but. We'll see kind of how it plays out. I would expect them to go on a little winning streak right here. Yeah. Maybe drop, you know, the Sunday game to Loyola Marymount. But I think you'd want to sweep that series and get that Tuesday win against Missouri State and kind of lead you off into the rest of the season. But I'm still really optimistic. I know a lot of people are down after that 18-1 to butt-whipping that Arkansas put on us. But I, I think I, I just – it's baseball, so many new pitchers. I just don't think you can overreact to that. 
it's it's such a long season. There's so many games. It I really don't think that uh I really don't think that overreacting is the way to handle this right now. Go on a little bit of a win win streak and that will will seem like a, a you know kind of a, a distant memory. Okay, one team that is just absolutely dominating right now in sports is the 8 and 1 Cowgirls softball team. They went to Clearwater, Florida for the Texas Clearwater Invitational this past weekend. They beat they run rule Texas A&M in 6 innings 8 to 0. That's that's Texas A&M who's ranked by D1 softball in the top 25. Nebraska who's receiving votes when they played them. They run rule them 10 to 0. Virginia Tech who was ranked in the top 10, they beat them on a walk off 10 to 9. Then they go up against Louisiana, who was previously ranked by D1 Softball and who lost by one run to UCLA and one run to Arkansas. They run rule them 12 to 2. And then Michigan, who was ranked when they played them, they run rule them 15 to 6 in six innings. They scored 55 runs. And Cade, here's the key: 12 home runs. What I what I said last week when I was doing that solo pod is the Cowgirls looked great after Puerto Vallarta, but Where's the power? Where are the home runs? We had the one from Wynn. We had the one from Kilfoyle. Well, they hit 10 or 12 this weekend, and I think we know where the power is. It's on the bat of Kylie Naomi, and it's on the bat of Morgan Wynn. They have seven combined out this season already. Well, and Kylie Naomi was one that you had called out as like, can she – get back to what she was, and it would appear that that's kind of the trajectory. But uh, a great call from you, and look what it does for this offense when she is hitting at the uh, you know the caliber that we knew she could. Especially after that down season. So, you know, two seasons ago, she was amazing. I think she ended up with like 14 home runs. Last year, she had a down year, I think like a 224 batting average. She's batting 458 after 24 at-bats, and along with her, Edwards, Rachel Becker, Caitlin Carlisle, all four of them have 20-plus at-bats and are all batting over 400, not to mention Sheesh. Michaela Wark, the Kansas transfer, is batting 389. <laughs> that helps. That helps. You've got several bats going right now. The Maryland loss is a bummer because you could – you could have made the joke that there's only one undefeated team in the state of Oklahoma, obviously with OU dropping one to Baylor. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it's it's a good thing to see. In uh, Maryland, as, he's right. I know. And the schedule was an absolute gauntlet to open up the beginning of the season. It lightens up as well. But it's it's good to see this. I mean, obviously now the Cowgirls ranked at number four in the country after that. So, um, yeah, this this has started the way that I think you and I both hoped it would and thought it could. And I think the pitching is shoring up a little bit. Lexi Kilfoyle, I think she looks comfortable. Her problem is she's just given up a, a couple too many long balls. And yep. if she can clean that up, those are mainly – most of her hits have been have been home runs, and a lot of them have only been, you know, solo or two-run shots. You know, that Virginia Tech game, they let them come back. But Kara Acock, she had a perfect game going. In that in the uh, the Nebraska game, or it was either the Nebraska or Louisiana game. Now I can't remember off the top of my head, but she had a perfect game going until the second to last out, and it was only through five innings because they run ruled them. But that's pretty awesome from a freshman. You'd love to see a little bit more from Rosenberry, the Virginia Tech transfer, and from Bailey Runner. But I think I think they're both very talented softball players. So 
Kelly Maxwell is unstoppable right now. So if you can get yeah. anything <laughs> behind her with how these bats are working, I don't know how many losses this team is going to take this year. I, I mean, it's almost OU-esque with how many teams they've run-ruled recently. They play. They go to New Mexico for the Troy Cox Classic this next weekend. They get Nebraska again. They get New Mexico. They get uh, Cal Bakersfield, New Mexico State, and then they finish with a trip to UTEP on Sunday in El Paso before they're finally back home on March 3rd for the home opener against Maine. I, I don't see... I, I think they're going to win all five of those games that I just listed off. I think you definitely should. I think it would be pretty disappointing to drop one of those to that caliber of opponent. And then you've got to stretch Maine, Mizzou, South Dakota State, Tarleton State, South Dakota State again that weekend. That feels like another 5-0 and stretch. It's it's difficult to say go 10-0, and but that's what it looks like. And they then realistically Justin, could. I think I think realistically they should, right? It's just difficult to string 10 wins together. And then comes Florida State to town. And I think that will be a really fun weekend in Stillwater for a three-game series. You don't see that a whole lot. I, that's pretty those cool. Those will be packed. Those games yeah. will be it, – it will probably be very hard to get a ticket to those softball games. Yeah, I, I would think so. And rightfully so. It should be. Yeah, I, yeah. Kate, I mean, not much else to say of Cowgirl softball. They've just been absolutely dominant right now. I'm I'm super happy that Morgan Wynn, you know, she was a one of the better hitters in the nation at Kansas before she transferred. She she struggled last season really bad. Like it was a very significant drop off, really similar to the one Kelly Naomi had, probably even a little worse. And she's not come back fully in average. But with her RBIs and her home runs and her playing the field at first base, she's been awesome. So pumped about that. And and Kate, I also want to throw out Katie Lott, the one who hit the she hit the walk off. She came back and hit a home run. That's a freshman right there, and she's not even an everyday starter. So this team is just stacked right now. Yeah, that'll be good. And Dustin, just just back to your point about it'll be hard to get a ticket. They're not even selling tickets to the Florida State series <laughs> until March sixth. That's five. That's four days before the series starts. Cowgirl softball, awesome. man. It's a. Uh, it's it's something to see. Build the stadium. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and and I got to go back to one thing. We had a listener ask us two weeks ago: Is Kelly Maxwell the best athlete on campus? Is there any question right now? I mean, that feels like a pretty you know easy answer. She is the most dominant in her craft. I think there's no question uh, on campus right now. So that's that's what I would go with. I think we were a little wishy-washy, maybe, when we originally answered. Now, I would say hands down. Yeah, she's been absolutely amazing. I, she's She gave up those two runs early, but other than that, she's been almost unhittable. It's It's been it's insane to watch. Yeah, we we should we should get her on the pod. You think she'd be down? We'll we'll, we'll work on that. I'll work on uh, that. Maybe I'll loop you in. <laughs> maybe she will. I'll loop you not. in on how that's going. Um, well, Dustin, I is I think that's it for baseball softball. Yeah, and we only have a couple of questions. We we'll probably won't recap wrestling. It was a tough loss to Iowa. That's the regular season finale. They'll be back at it at the Big Twelve Championships. Those are March fourth and fifth at the BOK Center in Tulsa. I would definitely. Check those out if you can. Uh, I heard they're a lot of fun. I have not gotten to go to the Big 12 Championships before, but the OK Center is cool. I bet it's going to be a lot of fun. And, Kate, like I said, we have two 
questions and we didn't get any audio right you ready for me to go I, on the twitter no, yeah go go ahead yep okay this is matthew lester at matt on the beach thanks matt for the question he says where do the orange with black cursive cowgirls softball helmets rank in the current line the current lineup of sports headgear at osu he says they are elite looking <laughs> he says his list is white patriot pete football helmet orange softball helmet with the black cowgirls an all white baseball hat with black brim and OS. Ooh. I don't think I agree with that list, Matthew, but I like where you're going. And the question is phenomenal. I mean, this is really what we're we're looking for at this time of year, right? We we need yeah, to be it's talking an amazing question. Yeah. I if if you're gonna make so since he did three, since he did baseball, softball, and football. I'll go with my favorite from each one. I, I'm not sure I have the ranking yet in my head, but football, I've talked about it on here before. And Kate, I know you make fun of me. I'm not the biggest uniform Jersey <laughs> guy. I'm kind of plain, you know, coming, growing up an LSU fan with my parents going there. I love that LSU wears kind of the same thing every week. I love their uniforms, but this isn't an LSU pod. I like the white helmet with the brand and then the orange and black stripe across the top, the three stripes, which is the yeah. brand white helmet, black face mask. That's my go-to for football for softball. Yes. I, I mean, they wore several, they've worn several already this year. I do like the white that just has the brand on the front, but the orange with the cowgirl cursive on the side is amazing. And then for baseball, I just like the, the standard black with the orange bill, orange OS. Those I think those are so, kind of my, my three go-tos. Okay, so this this is – baseball is what makes it tough. I think football, hands down, I'm going to go black cursive Cowboys. I, I just – the newness, it, it looks so good. Now, if you threw a brand on there, I think it might take the cake. But I just love that helmet that they wore uh, in Bedlam uh, in 21. I think, yes, softball, absolutely, Matthew, you're spot on. I would give two above the 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 white baseball hat. Not to say you're wrong. I just here's here's where I'm going. I love Oklahoma State's baseball hats. I think the tricolor black with the white front panel and the orange brim is an elite look. And sometimes, that's sometimes you'll see me call. rocking one, and uh, I look call. terrible in it. But it's so cool <laughs> that it's it's just awesome. And the other one that I would say. Dustin is not the black with the orange brim. It is the all black with the orange OS. That one is tough to beat as well. Yes. Uh, they're both. And here's the deal. When you have the interlocking OS, you cannot go wrong. But I'm more of a, a black hat kind of guy. But the black with the white panel on the orange bill is, is unbeatable. Just shout out to wrestling. The headgear that they have with the wrestling Pete on it is pretty awesome. Are we going to get some hate for no swinging Pete hats too? Like that, oh, yeah, that I guess may come I, out of nowhere. I feel like that wasn't even on my radar. I feel like I count those <laughs> like as a separate thing. I, I, I mean, I've those are the most OSU hats I own have swinging Pete on them. So that's, the most OSU, that's my favorite. Yeah. The most OSU hat might actually be the equestrian uh, cow, cowgirl hats. Like, honestly, <laughs> like. <laughs> Those are sick. Those are sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Everything, everything that the the men's and women's golf team wears on their heads is pretty amazing. Yeah, no question. They do a great job. Hey, we have one more question, but I am going to throw some breaking news at you. 
Oh, Scott oh. Scott Wright of the Oklahoman has just reported Brian Nardo's deal. Oh, and the oh. length and the amount. So Brian Nardo set to earn six hundred fifty thousand per year. It's a three year contract that he signed the last month on January twenty seventh. So that's a pretty large drop in dollar value from Derek Mason, who was making a little bit over a mil, 1.1, I believe. Along, And then obviously along with the higher Nardo, Joe Bob Clements was promoted. Tim Duffy was promoted to passing game coordinator. And Clements and Duffy are each earning the second year of two-year contracts. Clements earned 600000 and Duffy is at 550000 So... It seems like that Nardo contract open, and we thought that this would happen, opens up a little bit of money for other spots among the program. But a lot of these coordinators, like Casey Dunn, for instance, just recently signed new deals. So I'm wondering, kind of where if if we'll see some, you know, kind of re ups on that, or if everything will just kind of stay static right now, and we'll see some changes next year, but. Brian Nardo, 650K, three-year deal. I like that number. I do too. I think it's economical. I think if he comes in and does a phenomenal job, that will change. That number will change. But uh, I think it's the I think it's actually a pretty responsible contract at this stage of his career. And uh, I mean, college football is such a big business. These are huge numbers we're talking about for for you know defensive line safety coaches offensive coordinators but um yeah I, I like the deal and um it's it's good to know that and and thank you for throwing the breaking news in at the at the last hour i you probably could have got away with paying him less since he's coming from division three i'm sure some people will argue that but when you think about it from a Derek mason to him standpoint it's almost you're almost cutting it in half nearly at 40%, no 45% drop. So I, I think it's fair, and it it shows you that Gundy has a lot of faith in this guy. So we'll see what the results on the field play. Again, you know, with defense and changing some scheme, I don't think it's going to be a game, you know, first Big 12 game shutout type of thing. That normally doesn't happen when you switch defensive coordinators. We remember some of the growing pains even Jim Knowles had to go through, who's yep. probably looked at as one of the best defensive coordinators in Oklahoma State history. So we'll see how all that to say, we'll see how it goes, but I, I don't hate the number. No, I, I don't hate it either. And you're probably right. You could have got away with paying him a little bit less, but you got Joe Bob at 600. I don't I don't know how you, I mean, unless it's 625. paying him less than that. Yeah. yeah you have to yeah. pay him 600 probably with the co. I mean, it would be 100%. weird to bring. It would be weird. It'd for sure be weird to put him below a position coach. And right. you know, Tim Duffy's at 500. So that's kind of your floor right there. Especially when everybody knows what you make, right? Like that's, that's yeah. it's so out there. So, yeah. So that's Cade and I breaking something down live with no notes. So tell we, us how that went. Yeah. Leave a review, a five star review in the Apple podcast <laughs> ratings. We'll take it. <laughs> That was nice uh, job, improv. Dustin. Appreciate uh, it. A little improv <laughs> there. Um, and Kate, we have one. We have one more question. And sorry to Henry Marshall. I didn't mean to cut you off on questions. This was just going basketball, so I wanted to hit football real quick. Henry Marshall at Henry Marshall. Henry S. Marshall. Thanks so much for the question. He said, "Might be too late." He just got it in. He just sent it like 15 minutes ago. Whew. Might be too late, but if you could guarantee that OSU basketball would have 
under 10 turnovers a game or would shoot 85% or above from the free throw line, which would you choose? They've actually been shooting fairly well from the free throw line the past two games, have they not? They they shot very well from the free throw line last night. I was actually trying to pull the number up because they at I one just point I think it they out were, as well. I think they were like sixteen of eighteen from the free throw line at one point. It was something like mind boggling because you go into Morgantown and you shoot well from the free throw line, you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. So Henry, I will take the turnovers. I, I want less than ten turnovers. Both of those numbers are. I mean, those are both. Pretty good if you have under 10 turnovers or shoot above 85% as a team. Those are both solid percentage numbers for any college basketball team. So Last it's, night, asking, it's asking yeah, a lot, sorry. I think, for this Oklahoma State team right now to do either of those things because those are both good for pretty much any team. But I would, yeah, it would be awesome to get to the turnovers. If you ask me which one I think is more likely, based on the recent games, I'd probably say free throws. Dustin, it would have added four more points last night to their total had they uh, shot 85% from the free throw line. Now, if they would have turned the ball over eight less times, I feel pretty confident that things would have gone a whole lot better uh, for for the Cowboys. Uh, So, yeah, Henry, I love the question, but I'm going to go turnovers. Yeah, I I, – it would be great if they could get less than 10 turnovers. It would probably be a – huge plus for this cowboy team so okay that's all the questions we have for today i think we hit a lot of different topics like i said we'll be back next week a little bit later we'll record thursday so a little over a week until we're back but we will be back we'll have more news for you we'll be we'll have a lot of osu basketball to talk so we will you know we'll talk to you then i'll flip it back over to you kate yeah, thanks, Dustin. It's a huge week for Cowboy basketball. I mean, you got three games to write this ship. Um, obviously, uh, you want to end this on a high note and get into the tournament. And and Mike Boynton needs it. I mean, you, you got to think this is one of the biggest stretches of his, his young career at Oklahoma State with a real opportunity to get into March uh, in a year that doesn't involve Cade Cunningham. This is a huge opportunity for him. And if you go get one on Saturday – all the rest, I think, is gravy, and now you're just talking seeding. So let's stay off that 8-9 line, I think, is my final take, and uh, it should be a good, hopefully a good weekend in Stillwater. Dustin, thank you as always. These off-season podcasts are a little crazy because you got different topics everywhere, but uh, I always enjoy breaking it down with you. And, uh, yeah, we'll see We'll see maybe in uh, in August if we get a glimpse of that uh, Cowboy uh, uh, offense and defense. So we'll see how that goes. But if you're not already – you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. You can follow me at Cade web. You can follow Dustin at dust ragu, and we will see you guys back here next week. We'll talk to you then go folks.